Good morning, church. My name is Rob Jenner. I'm one of the elders, pastors here. Glad you're joining us. Um, it's great to gather together as a church on the Lord's Day, isn't it? And hope you can join us for fish and chips or if you're a Kiwi, fosh and chops. So hope to see you afterwards. And uh, all the love, Jules. Yeah, you feel it. Okay. So I wonder... Um, how many of you have heard this acronym before? WWJD. It's quite popular in the 90s. I, I, yeah, bracelets, uh, T-shirts. Um, what would Jesus do, right? Some people go for it and have a tat. Why not? So what would Jesus do? And I suppose... That was last week, right? The disciples are to say what Jesus said and to do what Jesus did. Remember, he commissions them out. They've watched Jesus perform miracles, heard him preach about the kingdom, and now they'll do the same. But really... WWJD is not super hard when you're commissioned to and empowered by Jesus to do the things that he asked them to do. Preach about the kingdom, heal the sick, etc., etc., etc. Specifically when Jesus is the one empowering you to do it. But now, WWJD becomes a little bit more complex when the heat is turned up and Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep amidst wolves. Jesus is the one who sends the disciples out as sheep amidst wolves, defenseless sheep in a wolf pack. That's a dreadful scenario, isn't it? And Jesus says they can count on people not liking them, even hating them, They'll encounter floggings, be arrested, even rejected by their own family members and likely be put to death. Still want to hold on to your WWJD bracelet? As with the master, so with his disciples. The bottom line is, conflict accompanies those who live for Christ. Conflict will come. If you are a Christian, and if you are following Jesus, you can expect at least three things in your lifetime. Expect conflict, right? Expect opposition. So expect opposition. Expect comfort, though. And expect family drama. When I was a youth pastor, I would go and speak at camps, and there would be students that would become saved, they'd become Christians, they'd become born again. And I'd often have, have them stand up, not the emotional night where it's like, come just as you are, come down the aisle, come down, here's some tissues, you know, no, no. The night after they became a Christian, I'd say, so if you, if you really understood the weight of your sin, what it means to follow Christ, that you're surrendering your entire life to him, I want you to stand up, right? And the people stand up and everyone go, yay, stop, 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 stop clapping. 
you know, Colin wasn't there, but you know, just, you know, stop, stop the clapping. But, but I'd say to them, I wish I could tell you that as if you head down this mountain, as it were, life's going to be so much easier for you and you'll, ha- you'll be walking on water. Now, uh, when you go back, especially if your parents aren't Christians, do you think they're going to be thrilled that, you know, you've become converted? No. In fact, I would encourage you to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith is developed perseverance. You will be opposed. And so Jesus sends out the 12. And all of us saying, if we want to follow him, we should expect opposition. But expect comfort and expect family drama. That's where we're headed today. Pretty heavy, but the text calls for it. So that said, let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll unpack this text together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word speaks to our every circumstance, our every need. We pray now that by the Spirit, you would open our eyes, not only to understand this word with our minds, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that our attitudes, our posture, our our outlook on life, our priorities reflect the truth of your word. We recognize, O God, that we need the Holy Spirit to do this. We need the Spirit to illumine our minds and we need the Spirit to work in us in accordance with grace that we might truly embrace what is said today. So please, help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Jesus sent out... Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to be distracted by that thing. Well done, Nicole. That's great, though. But but you can keep going. No, but um, Jesus sent out the disciples, right? But it was a very specific task. Do you remember that? Go nowhere except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember that? He sent a certain group with a particular job. The 12 apostles were told where to go, what to say, what to bring, what not to bring, and so on. Now today, that is expanded to encompass all Christian missions throughout the ages. In other words, Matthew has a broader audience in mind than just the 12 apostles and their short-term mission trip. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the example he gives in verse 17. He says they'll be dragged before governors and kings. But hold on. At this point in time, Galilee didn't have a governor or a king or a ruling monarch. So Jesus, did someone not tee him up that, that morning? Oh, what's going on here? Also notice the way in which governors and kings are used. The plural, governors, kings. So Jesus' words must be looking beyond the borders of Galilee and into the future. Another example which forces us to look beyond this time and place in history is the experience of martyrdom, of being put to death. 
Jesus says that their family members will deliver them over to death, which may be their lot later on, but it's not here, not yet. You see, what's unique about this text is how it looks beyond itself. It applies not only to this first missionary journey, but to all Christian missionary endeavors, which means, did you hear what I just said? Which means what? It means that suffering will come for a believer here today, and that is a sobering thought. I don't know about you, but it's a whole lot easier to read about someone being martyred or persecuted or whatever on, the, on a page sitting in a cafe somewhere than it is to cop it myself or even a slight persecution. But listen, Jesus says, and he warns all of you this morning, that if you want to follow him, if you want to be his disciple, you're going to cop it on the chin big time. He says, watch out. Beware of men. They are going to do this. So when you follow Jesus, what should you expect? Number one, expect opposition. Expect opposition. And that comes right out of our text here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. Right after he says, send them like sheep amongst wolves. He says, beware. See the warning there? Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. You can imagine at this stage the disciples were anticipating a kingdom which was going to lead them to great prominence and leadership, but the Lord <laughs> wants to prepare them for a kingdom that was going to expose them to persecution. They will soon have to stand trial and be flogged for following Jesus. Now, as you hear that being dragged before governors and kings being dragged before trial, that might trigger in your mind the book of Acts, which we see happen again and again. You might look down the hallway of church history and think about martyrs in church history. But what do we do with that? Like in the year 2020 on the Central Coast. I don't think in Australia anyone's been dragged before a high court and martyred this week. That, I mean, it's not, I'm not aware of it. So what do we, what do we do with this passage? How is this relevant? Well, it's highly unlikely you're going to be hauled before a jury because you're a Christian. But the reality is that microphones do go out when you're preaching and pop like popcorn. Now, but the reality is, if you're honest with friends and coworkers that you follow Jesus, if you disclose to them, listen, the stuff the Bible really teaches and stand behind it, it's only a matter of time until you're viewed and labeled by them as extremist, bigoted, prudish, and combative. 
what do you mean marriage is only between a man and a woman? Why won't you simply celebrate the union of two people who are in love? Why do you think your religion is the only true religion? Why won't you accept the facts about science when it comes to the creation of the world? So you really think that my aunt, that my mom, that my dad, that my grandpa, that my fill-in-the-blank is burning in hell right now simply because they didn't believe what you do? Why can't two mature, consenting adults sleep together before marriage? They're not hurting anybody. Doesn't a woman have a right to do with her own body as she so chooses to do? Who are you to judge? Why do you have to be so solemn, so extreme, and so narrow-minded about what you believe? I mean, isn't Jesus all about love and acceptance? Didn't he say, let him who is without sin cast the first stone? I wonder, friends, if these questions have ever been thrown at you. I also wonder if you've had to wrestle with some of the ethical, moral issues that I just, those are heavy things, by the way. But I wonder if you have to wrestle with some of those things yourself. And if you have come to the conclusion that the Bible actually has something to say to every one of the things that we just covered, and you're willing to actually stand behind it, not in a contrarian, nasty sort of way, by the way, but in a way that says, look, I didn't write the book, but I believe it, and I'm going to stand under its authority. I wonder, I wonder if you've got pushback from that. I wonder if some of your friends at a barbecue or coworkers have thrown some of those, and they're not questions as much as they are accusations, have thrown some of those things in your face. Look, following Jesus will produce persecution from the world on some level. Sure, here in Australia, it's not going to be like it is in other parts of the world in different countries where they don't have the same religious protections and freedoms that we do. But following Jesus here on the coast will produce hostility and harassment from the world on some level. The world will oppose the Christian and our message. Why? Because the world is opposed to Christ. Do you want to follow Jesus? But can I ask that? Do, do, do you want to follow Jesus? Do, do you want to be Christ-centered in, in, in your home and at work and in all areas of your life? Then listen, my friend you can expect some form of opposition sooner or later. Eventually, you're going to cop it. Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you, gifted to you, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Well, I like the first part, not the second. I don't know about you. It's been gifted to me, yeah. Faith is a gift. I'm a Christian because it's a, like, I, like, faith is a gift. It's been granted to me. Wait, it's a gift too that I have to suffer? That stinks. I don't like that bit at all. So what should we expect when we follow Jesus? Well, we should expect opposition, but know this. When you encounter opposition, you are not alone. 
So don't worry, don't be afraid, because you can expect comfort. You can expect comfort. Look at verse 19 and 20. Very peculiar verse. Verse 19. When they, deliver, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father speaking through you. Interesting. Jesus just told the disciples that they're going to be interrogated by the highest of courts. And it's here where they'll have to provide a verbal account, as it were, which would give anybody angst. I know we're in church and maybe you've read Voice of the Martyrs and you kind of think, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd. it would give anybody angst. If you had to go to Parliament tomorrow by yourself with the liberal media with its, you're in their crosshairs, by the way, and they say, give an account. That would, that would cause a stomach turn. Would for me. I'd probably go down in a ball of flames, you know, but then I'd have to, anyway. But it would, it would, it would cause your stomach to turn. So disciples would be feeling this. Remember who these guys are? They're chippies. They're fishermen. One of them's a, a, a tax collector. So, so what are these unlettered men from a podunk town gonna say when they stand trial before the superpowers of the world. You can just imagine their anxiety. What on earth are we going to say? And Jesus assures them they don't have to worry about that. There are several examples of this that happen actually in the book of Acts. I'd, I'd like your, to turn your attention to just one. Go, go quickly to the right in your Bibles. Go, go to the book of Acts chapter seven. This is an incredible story where Stephen has just been arrested. Page 914. Actually, let's start, let's pick up in Acts 6, which is, might be page 91. It's all on the same page. Great. If it's on your phone, then you're already there, or whatever. So Stephen's just been arrested. He's dragged before a court. He's got nothing to lean on, right? I mean, this is, this is a scary scenario. And I, want, I want to pick up here. Let's go to actually chapter 6, verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. That's like the biggest no-no if you're a Jew, right? And then look, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest, right? That's like their PM. I imagine ScoMo says, give an account, and all the cameras are on you. ScoMo's a lot nicer than that. Let's not talk about ScoMo. But anyway, you know, give an account. 
That's what's going on here. They're high priests. What's going on here? Are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. And oh, did they ever. As you read through his speech, you have the most incredible articulation of salvation history coming from a bloke who had no obvious education or training to be capable of delivering such a message, right? So at the very end of his, of, he's coming to the end of his rope and his very moment of need, he is given by the Holy Spirit all that he needs to, to say. Just as the Lord predicted, you're not going to have to worry about what to say because you are going to be my mouthpiece. Jesus reassures his followers that we are never without him. Even as you face intimidating and scary situations for the sake of the gospel, you're never abandoned. You're never forgotten. But we can feel like that, can't we? You can feel that way when you experience ridicule or slander for following Jesus, right? It's easy to begin to think, well... He's left me. God's left me. He doesn't care. Otherwise, I wouldn't be experiencing this right now. And Jesus says, let me tell you, this persecution is going to come. The world hates me. It's going to hate you as well. But when this hostility does come, the Father is with you and will speak through you. Interesting words. Very striking. Do you, do you see the words there? Go, go back to Matthew. He, look what he says. You will be given what to say at that hour, but it is not you speaking, but the spirit of your father. He could have said the spirit of me, Jesus talking, right? He could have said the Holy Spirit, but he says the spirit of your father. That is very much a theme in Matthew. When you pray, pray like this, our father. Also the Sermon on the Mount, right? So don't be anxious about what you would eat or drink how you will live, right? For the pagans went after the things. And your father knows what you need. Now, this doesn't imply that each time you talk about God in a debate or a public forum that somehow it needs to be spontaneous and unprepared. Or, or if you're asked a question, let's say you have a barbecue in the next few weeks with some friends and they sort of put you on the hot seat, right? Or at work, Oh, you're a Christian. Wow. Interesting. So you must believe blah. If you're sort of put in that difficult scenario, it doesn't mean that in that moment your mind and will are all of a sudden going to be hijacked, taken over by the Holy Spirit like a ventriloquist with its puppet. Right? Sort of, you know, no, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. We should count, though, on the Spirit teaching, reminding, as it says in John, and reminding us to be faithful to bear witness to Christ. The recall will happen. The Lord won't hang you out to dry. The recall will happen. And you're to bear witness to Him, to Christ. So what should we expect when we follow Jesus? Expect opposition. Expect comfort and lastly, expect family drama. Kind of wish this was on Mother's Day. It would be on, anyway, maybe not. But 
Where am I getting that? Look at verse 21. In verse 21 of Matthew 10, Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is full on, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I want you to know that the gospel message I've given you is going to divide even families. You'd think that this is the point where Jesus would tell you to back off in your commitment. I mean, come on, families being ripped apart seems like a step backwards, not forwards in terms of what God desires. And yet Jesus makes it clear to his disciples and to all of us that he takes precedence when those kinds of pressures come to bear. Christ must take precedence. One time I was, my grandpa, who is not a Christian, was in the hospital. And I love my grandpa. And, and I, I used to spend every weekend with him. And um, he's, he's, he rejected Jesus his entire life. And he was, gonna, he was going in for a major surgery that he may or may not survive. And so I said, Grandpa, I want to talk to you about Jesus Just one more time. And so I started telling him about eternal life and who God is and who my grandpa is and how God has provided a way for salvation if my grandpa would believe and trust in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And my grandpa, you know, he says, he interrupted me, you know, I'm his grandson, right? So don't tell me sort of thing. But he interrupted me and he said, pointed his finger and he said, don't ever, ever, ever bring this up with me again. And then my aunt just ridiculed me in the lobby. What, you know, is wrong with you? Your grandpa is likely going to die and you're stressing him out. It's this kind of, it's this kind of divisive behavior that what's why I've told you, Rob, you don't bring up religion or politics in family. It, I, I felt the, 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 the hurt of this. I love my grandpa. And the best way I could do is just tell him this message. Jesus said, and it's interesting, it covers the gamut, doesn't it? You see that? Brother, siblings, Parents, children. See how it covers the gamut of, of what gospel message does? And then in verse 22. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my... Notice, what's the reason? It's, is it because you're a contrarian and an obnoxious person? Because, you know, here's the problem with this. We can, um, depending on our personality, here's where this kind of message can go. You can be an introvert and go far out. I'm scared, and I'm even more scared now, right? Or you can be an extrovert who's kind of a contrarian and a bit annoying. And even if you weren't a Christian, you'd be kind of like that. And you're like, yeah, this gives me ammo to shove in someone's face. That's not what Jesus is saying. For my sake, my sake, For my sake. And notice, 
you will be hated by all. Again, you can be the nicest person. You can be Dan Kenny, okay? And still cop it. I mean, like, Dan doesn't have a mean bone in his body. He's not here right now, so I can embarrass him. And Dan has copped it. Why? Because of Jesus' name. You can, be the, you can be a person that doesn't like controversy, and it still, it still comes. People will still hate you. You can have a smile on your face. The gospel, listen, the gospel's offensive. You're telling me that I'm a sinner? like that. You're telling me that if I don't believe this truth about Jesus, I will go to everlasting hell? That God would, if God's a loving God, he wouldn't send anyone to hell. You can be the nicest person and sit there with a, you know, a flat white or a tea in your hand and just, oh, I just want to tell you about this. Give it time and someone will say, I can't stand that person. They're so judgmental. They're so narrow-minded they think their religion's the only way. What about the people who never heard about Jesus? Huh? 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 But what about you? So you'll be hated by all. So again, depending on how you're cut, what your temperament is, if you're sort of introverted or extroverted, I guess it doesn't really matter. The question I really want to push to you, church, this morning is, have you ever copped it? Do you know what I mean by that? Like it's, because you're like, oh, well, I don't feel uncomfortable in those family situations. Well, because you laugh at the same dirty jokes the world laughs at. You watch the same disgusting TV shows the world does. You get involved in the same things the world does. There's no distinguishing between you and the world. So why would they persecute you? Like you, you smell, look, and talk just like them. So I was actually thinking about you guys as a church this week. I'm thinking, I wonder if you've copped it. Don't take it because I've copped it. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. There have been plenty of times where I should have been a lot more bold. I had an opportunity this week where I should have, yeah, anyway. And notice what he says. I just, I can't, I can't get away from this. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you, and one town flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now I'm really tempted to give you four perspectives on what that means, but since this is the end of the sermon, I will spare you. As Jesus would say, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, okay? So I will spare you of that. But I want to come back in closing to this idea of family drama because it's tempting, isn't it, to believe that, well, my own family wouldn't hate me. I mean, all right, sure, they may not be super keen that I'm a Christian, but they're not going to drag me before courts and have me put to death. So, you know, they're not going to have me executed. Maybe your mother-in-law wants to, but you know, that's another story. We'll get into that in, in a couple weeks. But have you ever experienced this? Again, for those of you that are trying to be tactful, for Jesus' name, remember that? Not just to be contrarian. Not whatever. But have you ever been in a scenario, be it with family or be it with friends, 
where you just feel a tinge of awkwardness. You just do because you have a different worldview than they do. You can't laugh at the same things they're laughing at. You can't participate in some of the conversations and where they're going. So it's awkward, even if it's your own family. And you're like, mm, yeah, ha, 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 mm, I shouldn't laugh at that. And it's, or maybe that's not the scenario. Maybe you have, and I know I say this in a very sensitive way, many of you have spouses who are not Christians. And there's those little, little snarky words. Oh, yeah, we give the money at the church. Oh, sorry? Nothing. And there's a, there's, you feel the wedge, don't you? you? They have a completely different worldview. Do you know the Bible says the man without the Spirit cannot accept the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to him? So you feel the cost when you show up at a family event and, and there's a disconnect. You, you feel a tinge of awkwardness. You struggle participating in conversations. You don't want to partake in some of these conversations. And maybe your family, again, depending on your family dynamic, maybe they're brash and bombastic, and they just go for it, and they just go, bigot, ba-da-da. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're more polite. I bet you it's the latter. And you, even though you've never said anything that's been out of line or super judgmental, they just view you that way. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just, you, you feel it. This sense of, gee, what did, what did I ever, what, no, who's the tolerant one here, by the way? What did I ever say? What did I ever do? Jesus said, we can expect opposition, guys. I don't think in our lifetime, but I could be wrong, it's irrelevant to speculate on it, if we'll be dragged before governors and kings. But if you're a Christian and you stand behind what the stuff the Bible really says on these moral issues, mainly the gospel itself, it is offensive. It just is. I wish that I could stand up here and say, if you follow Jesus, you'll have less stress, less regrets, and your best life now. Who wants to, man, we, this, we could, we could, uh, Rob, imagine what we could do. This church would be like quadruple the size in just a year, right? And I could drive a nice car or whatever, you know? Just imagine what we could do. But I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to you. Um, that's not the gospel. And the gospel is offensive. The gospel is a denying of self. Anyone who come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For wherever he will save his life will lose it. This is the end of you. You understand? You're handing your entire life over to Jesus. And if you do, you're going to cop it. But the joy of knowing the Lord and walking with him is better than any relationship that you'd cop it from. Any relationship. So if you want to follow Jesus... That's what you can expect, friends. But you'll have comfort. Yes, you'll have the family drama. Yes, you'll have some opposition in this world. may not be as crazy as being killed. But you'll have the comfort as well.
Let me close with this poem. Jesus is our shepherd, guarded by his arm. Through the wolves may raven, none can do us harm. When we treat death's victory, death's valley, dark with fearful gloom, we will fear no evil, victors over the tomb. Amen. That's the hope we have for Christians. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for your word. We pray that, Lord, maybe I'm imagining in this room that there's some here that maybe have been sort of duped into a Christianity that's a false one. Maybe they've been comfortable having their cake and eating it too, living just no different than the world, sacrificing nothing, turning from no sin. Would you draw them to yourself and grant them faith? Lord, would you help them to see, help them to count the cost now? Lord, for those of us that want to be faithful to you, this is a scary passage. This is a text that really causes our stomachs to turn when we think about being hated by all because of you. But Lord, we want to follow you, the master, as you, and we want to be your disciples. So give us comfort this week and the next or this month when we do encounter being it, so, being it socially ostracized or snarky remarks or whatever it might be. Lord, may we hold fast to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you follow Jesus and you are a Christian, um, this part of the service is an opportunity for you to celebrate Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and his resurrection.